Hello and welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. I'm Charlie. And I'm Hannah, and we're two 20-somethings rereading our favourite childhood book with added alcohol and cynicism. In this episode, we're reading chapters one and two of Harry Potter and the, and the Chamber of Words. The Chamber of Words. It's, the it's Chamber a lot, of Words. It's a lot of words. There is a snake, I believe. <laughs> uh, and it goes hiss. Gr- grab some alcohol and join in. Because this intro sums up the podcast. Great, thanks, bye. We're back! Sorry, I'm reading my notes. Oh, right, okay. Even though I only made them yesterday because I have no memory. Well, I made mine this morning. You're such a slacker, Hannah. <laughs> I don't know why you possibly left it so last minute. <laughs> why you ever... invited me out yesterday. <laughs> I did. I did. Oh. Can <laughs> we explain the whole thing? Yeah. So if me and Charlie sounds slightly worse from wear as well as drinking during this podcast, we're hungover. Yes. Because not... we went out yesterday. Not that we have alcohol problems or anything. And not but... that we don't see each other enough. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, moving on, we are now on to Chamber of Secrets! It's like season two, but we're not really doing this in seasons, but second book! Yes. And it feels weird because you guys won't know this because of how we release the episodes, but this is our longest break ever in between recording episodes, I think. Yeah. And it also happened to coincide with Christmas and a few like really big life things happening with me and Charlie, so it felt really weird that we finished Philosopher's Stone, then we're apart for ages, a load of shit happens, and now we're doing Chamber of Secrets, it just feels like there's this big kind of... It does feel like I haven't seen you in ages and we haven't done this podcast in yeah. ages. So yeah. it's, it's nice that we're coming back rather than in the middle of a book to a brand new book. Yeah, that's definitely, it's worked out well. It has, it's worked yeah. out well. And I'm really excited to get to the second book. I didn't think that we would get this far. No. Um, and I don't know, it feels like we're really like into it now and like diving in. I mean, not much happens in the next few chapters, but I think definitely now like the books kind of get a bit more like juicy, juicy books. Um, yeah, and it's just really exciting. It like, is. The second book, this is when it's not just like, oh, Harry Potter, it's like, oh, Harry Potter, the series. Yeah, definitely. But first, before we get into that, we have some shout outs to do and we have some very special shout outs to do. Yay! Oh my God. So the first shout out is to our first ever Patreon. This happened on Boxing Day. We got our first ever Patreon yeah. on Boxing Day. And I just got this message from Charlie that just said, Hannah, in capital letters. And I was like, what's happened? And she'd sent me a screenshot of the email like, you've got a Patreon. And we were just like, oh my god, what does this mean? What is this? What? Yeah, it was insane. And like, I had like loads of family over because it was Boxing Day. And I was just like trying to like, be totally chill when actually I was like tearing up I was like why would anyone do that yeah, I was like shaking it was oh. so yeah first ever Patreon thank it was you. the best Christmas present it honestly was the best Christmas present so thank you so much you're not meant to drink that yet supposed to be drinking the drink and absent-mindedly drank it so then I just spat it out into the glass and apparently that's disgusting. Well I won't be taking a sip from your cup. You have your own so why would you? (laughs) Basically the thank you we're trying to do goes to Nathan and Amy who are our first ever Patreon donators. They're a couple I think (laughs) I really hope they no they are a couple and they found us because they were Driving home for Christmas, which is lovely. So cute. One of them wanted to listen to the Harry Potter audiobooks, the other wanted to listen to a podcast, so they compromised, as you do when you're in a relationship, and found us two. Yay! Yay! And we're so glad they did. They are, and they're our first patrons to unlock the reward level where you get to pick our alcohol. So we have a reward, reward level on Patreon where if you, you can go look at the tiers yourself, it's www.patreon.com slash goblet of wine. But one of the tier rewards is to pick our alcohol that we drink in the episode. The alcohol that Nathan and Amy chose was Southern Comfort mixed with Coke, which is actually really cool because they told me they picked this because it was the first drink that they legally bought when they turned of age. I'm not sure what age, but they, when they turned of age, which is interesting because this was the first drink that I ever legally ordered in a pub. Oh. So it's kind of a weird coincidence. Yeah. Um, but Charlie's never tried Southern Comfort. I, well, and apart from that, like, she just spat I didn't back really out. taste it though. <laughs> okay, so let's let's go for it. Mm, I Cheers. mean, I feel Thank like it's going to taste like Amy. spit. Oh, Neil's right. I did make it really strong. It's nice. I like it. It's very like um, 
I don't know, it reminds me of the kind of thing I would have drunk in university when I started drinking. Yeah. I really mm. like it with lemonade, but it's good with Coke as well. Mm. It's almost like a spiced rum, but I know it's whiskey-based. It's kind of like, I suppose yeah. it's spiced whiskey. Yeah, I think I drank a lot of Jack Daniels in university, so I think because, like, whiskey, it's, like, giving me that yeah. kind of vibes. I did make it super strong, though. Are you okay with this? Do you want yeah, Coke yeah, in it? Yeah, no, no, it's fine. It's nice. It's, it's nice. kind of like, it's a bit like, I don't know. Yeah. So that's what we're drinking this whole episode. It's nice. <laughs> Great. I like it. <laughs> That's what we're drinking this whole episode. If you would like to pick what we're drinking in an episode, and we will drink it the whole episode, if you'd like to pick your first alcoholic drink you drunk, if you want to pick your favourite, or if you want to pick something that you think we will hate, you can go to Patreon and donate, and we will drink it. We will. We will. Within reason, yeah. obviously. If we can't get a hold of it in the UK, or if you, you know, ask us to buy a 200 bottle champagne we're not doing that we're not doing that no, it's we're within not. reason but yeah. you know it's, it's a good reward <laughs> and if you want to make us mix something disgusting that is also an option yeah we can even if you're not sure like if you want us to mix something but you don't want us to have to buy five different alcohols we can send you a picture of what we already own and you can be like mix that mix that mix that yeah. you know you can Great make this fun. work for you yes the second thank you goes to our second ever patreon donator what Sandra! I think, yeah. No, it is Sandra, but she calls herself Sandy in the sign-off. Uh, so I don't know if you prefer Sandra or Sandy, but thank you. You are our second ever Patreon donation that came through yesterday, and yeah. me and Charlie literally lost our shit. We literally. And, like, I was, like, hiding in the toilet at work, so I had no phone signal, but I got the email, and I tried to send a screenshot to Hannah, and all she got was me just being like, Hannah... And then just no screenshot <laughs> yeah. came through. But I was at work as well. And I was just sitting at my desk trying to work like, oh my God, why do people want to donate to us? What is yeah. this? I mean, you definitely should because it's worth it. Yeah. And keep doing it. But like, yeah, it's just like crazy trust. Like we appreciate the support so much. Like, you know, it is expensive to run this podcast, buying alcohol. And like, just, it's not even about the money really. It's about people actually wanting to support us yeah. and liking what we're doing, which is absolutely insane and we're so incredibly thankful and it's just amazing to have your guys support like it's thank it's you amazing. so much but yeah sandy is our first producer level patreon Ooh. so thank Ooh. you for helping us produce this podcast monthly sandy and our last shout out goes to simon on twitter who private messaged us on twitter just to say how much he loved the podcast i didn't see that i sent you a screenshot and it was on twitter you never responded to the screenshot i sent you which i, I was like do you hate simon what did simon do to you i ignore all your messages right okay i, no. I believe he's from germany so we're getting listeners from around okay. the world hang on i'm looking I'm like I genuinely I didn't see either of these things Simon. oh that's so sweet thank you Simon thanks Simon so that is all the shout outs out of the way sorry for the super long introduction you know what we're drinking now let's get into Chamber of Secrets yeah right so as we're starting a new book Charlie what was your first experience like reading this book so or I'm listening or watching or whatever <laughs> okay so unsurprisingly I can't remember well it did come out in I think this one came out in 2000 yeah and I think because I started with the books a little bit later than you did yeah so probably I would have listened to the first one on audiobook right and then I think that I would have gone straight onto this like it would already have been out so there would oh, have been any... well this was out when I read the first one they yeah came yeah out quite close together yeah yeah so like yeah I would have gone straight onto the second one so I don't remember like really like dis discovering it or anything for the first time mm. but what I do remember was reading it for the first time if you listen to the first episode then you'll know that I'm dyslexic so I listened to like maybe about half of the books on audiobooks mm. before I could read and then I went through and I read them all as my way of trying to like overcome my dyslexia which mm. worked it's great Woo. Harry Potter taught me to read um so yeah my big like memory association with Chamber of Secrets was that it really marked me finishing the first Harry Potter mm. book, like reading it for myself, which was the first proper book I ever read. The only other books I'd ever read myself the entire way through were like Kip and whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, those like books that you had in like primary school. <laughs> there were like 20 pages of like size 30 text with like five words on each yeah. page. Like Harry Potter, the first one was the first novel I read by myself. Yeah. Um, so obviously I already knew what happened in Chamber of Secrets, I'd listened to the audio book, but really getting to Chamber of Secrets for me was like this huge thing where I was like, oh my god, I finished a book, like a real adult book, yeah, and I'm, and I'm gonna, yeah, yeah, read a second one, and that was when I must have been like 11 or 12, Yeah. so that's absolutely like, that's insane, that's what I associate with, like it's a book, even though it's probably maybe my least favourite of the Harry Potter books. I was about to bring that up, yeah. Um, we'll discuss that afterwards. Yeah, it still has, like, a special thing for me. It's maybe one of the most sort of, like, I don't know if coming of age is the right term, 
But no, I think it is the right term for me. I see it's quite like coming of age for me personally. That's nice. Yeah. I like that. How about you, Hannah? So, I have a confession with this book. I um, basically never finished reading it until book four had been published. So I got books, I'd been begging my mum for ages, I finally got the books in, she had to buy me paperback because at that point we couldn't find the hardback editions we had, which is probably good because I probably like ruined them because I was about mm. five. So I had these two paperbacks, loved the first one, raced through it, got to the second one, loved it again, but when they went down to the Chamber of Secrets, bear in mind how young I was, I was like five at this point I think, I got really scared, so scared that I put bookmark in the book Mm. and then finished it so then the film came out and um i i hadn't i knew i hadn't finished the book and i went to see it in the cinema and the point where they went down to the chamber um you know when all the sinks come out i yeah. assumed the snake was just gonna like pop up from there and i emerged there and then that was it <laughs> yeah crawling into my dad's lap and like hiding on him absolutely Aww. terrified so something about this book and film really scared me a lot more yeah. than the first one because yeah Never finished it on the book. I then, I think, watched the film, listened to the audiobook, but I remember very clearly the bookmark still being in the same place in that book until I was doing a reread in preparation for another book. Mm. And that was the first time I'd read on paper that last those last wow. few chapters, which is weird. Yeah. That's so funny that you say that, like, this is a book that, like, really scared you and you could never finish the last part. But because for me, admittedly because of the film, I, like, associate the second book as well as, like, coming of age, but as, like part of my sexual awakening because of young Voldemort. <laughs> uh, so, like, whilst you're like, oh, I'm really scared of it, I'm like, mm, yeah, young Voldemort, he was a sort. So as we just kind of mentioned, um, if I had to rank the books, like, if somebody was making me, this is my least favourite. I like that you say, like, oh, that's the only time I would. I already have prepared this yeah. answer. I was the already only time thinking... I would rank them is if someone made me. But, but I I'm making have. myself for a podcast. But if you were making me. Yeah, I agree. That's not to, it's not to say it's a bad it's book. It's not a bad book in any way. But I don't know, because... It's got the least about it. You want to say that it's filler, but when you actually think about it, it's it is so much... the least filler. Yeah, it's so much more important than Philosopher's Stone and Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. Like, incredibly but important. But it to the still story. feels. I think so because hard. every other know. book has quite a big progression in the writing, in the way Harry acts. Yeah. This Whereas is this like book the first feels... book, point two. Yeah, it feels like the first book, but with different creatures because you're going back into a chamber under the school, the defense against the dark outs. Yeah. Which is a little. Obviously, all Harry Potter books are a bit formulaic. But this one just really feels like they changed some of the elements of book one and went, book two. I yeah. also hate that Hermione was put in the hospital wing for long periods of time. Not once. Twice. Yeah. Stop writing Hermione out for fuck's yeah, sake. Yeah, she's the best character. Yeah, she's Stop. written out of half this book, which yeah. annoys me. But yeah. it doesn't mean we don't like this book. And I think it'll be interesting to explore as we go through, like, why it's our least yeah, favourite. I'm, I'm actually... Can I make a prediction? Yeah. And I'm only speaking for myself. Sure. But... I think that by the time we get to the end of actually properly having read this yeah. like properly, like deep analysis in the first time in many, many years, yeah. um, and actually analysing it and talking about it, I think that me personally, I'm going to change my opinion and I'm, I think I'm going to really like it. That's I think just... I'm going to like it for everything that's in it, but I still think if I was sitting down and going, which Harry Potter book should I pick up to read today just casually, hmm. this would be the one I'd grab for least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just prepared to change my opinion. Okay. Oh, I also wanted to say, the version of the book I'm reading for now to do the audiobook is slightly different, and I'm going to mention things about it. I'm reading the Jim K illustrated version. Oh, that's why you sent me Ugly Dudley. Ugly Dudley, yeah. So um, I got the, if you don't know the Jim K illustrated versions, they're beautiful, like special edition ones of the books, and I have number one and number two. And I'd read number one and had never actually got round to reading number two because it's quite a big, unwieldy book. Mm. It's not something you just read before bed. And I was like, well, this is perfect. If I'm going to do it for the podcast, I may as well actually sit down and read this That's illustrated so cool. version. I'm really jealous. But it means I'm going to be mentioning things about it that are slightly different to other versions. Okay. But that's cool. And I mean, we can... Um, social you listen media to the Yeah. And you listen to the audiobook, so neither of us are actually re reading yeah. the original version of this. Uh, should we actually start the book? Yeah, it's been quarter of an hour. Let's begin. <laughs> <laughs> so, We're so bad at this. So chapter one, the worst birthday. So Harry is back at the Dursleys. We are back again. And Vernon... the start of every book that starts to get really tedious yes, once you're like three books it in. It does, I'm going to bring that up. Um, so Vernon has been woken up by Hedwig. Um, 
and because Hedwig has made a noise because she's not allowed to fly. So an argument's happening at breakfast. During the argument, Harry mentions the word magic because he's trying to get Dudley to say please and it turns into a huge row. Yeah, I love this bit because it's like, if you hadn't, you know, if you were reading them as they were coming out and you hadn't read the first book and then you'd just be reading this like, why is this boy getting screamed at for saying say the magic word? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's really funny. Um, and then it goes into what you were talking about, the classic start of every HP book where we recap who Harry is, who his friends are, and what his last few years at Hogwarts yeah. have been like. And you can understand why, because at the time Harry Potter wasn't of like big It thing. definitely makes sense in the first few books, but I think when it's done in book six, it's just like, shut up, yeah. no one is starting exactly. on book six. Like, and if you were, like, it's not enough to say, oh, by the way, he's a wizard. Mm. Like, nothing would make sense. By the way, last year he nearly died. Like, yeah, sure. But this one, yeah, goes into a big recap about who Ron and Hermione are and mm. Harry almost faced Voldemort last year and that goes on for a few pages. So then, it, during this whole recap bit, he mentions that the Dursleys don't allow him any of his spell books, his broomstick, anything like that. And he's whining about it and says, what did the Dursleys care if Harry lost his place on the Quidditch team because he hadn't practiced? Which made me think that even if the Dursleys didn't lock his broomstick in a cupboard, they allowed him to have it, he still couldn't practice, could he? I mean, where could he practice? Yeah, it's kind like, of dumb. Like, yeah. he lives in Surrey, like, what are you gonna do? And he also lives in, like, a cul-de-sac full of other houses. Like, yeah. where are you gonna practice, Harry? And then it made you think about, actually, how much Muggleborns are at a disadvantage for Quidditch. Like, mm. we don't know what the blood type of all the Quidditch players are on the team, but there's a definite huge advantage to people who are born from wizard families. Yeah. And even if a Muggleborn is good at Quidditch, they're put at a disadvantage that they can't practice in summer. Yeah. Yeah. So once again, it's like another JK Rowling metaphor. And this time it's for like, um, definitely like class status yeah. and cultural capital. Um, because, you know, we typically see, like, uh, wizard-borns as, like, seeing themselves as, like, upper-class, yeah. like, well-off, and then the muggle-borns are, like, looked down on, and it's definitely, like, a class metaphor. And then there's a theory about cultural capital, um, like, within society, and basically, if you come from, like, a middle-class or well-off background, you have this thing called cultural capital, which is basically, because your parents have money, you can afford to go on school trips, to go yeah. and, you know... Uh, go to museums do, in your spare time. Um, music classes after school, dance classes after school. Yeah, all things these like things, that. Yeah. You know, you might have a stay-at-home mother who can read to you. This was, you know, something hugely important for my education, being dyslexic. I was so lucky that I had a stay-at-home mum mm, yeah. because she could stay at home and read to me. And if I was from a poorer background, I wouldn't have had that and I wouldn't be where I am now. Yeah. Um, so, again, this is very much like, you know, you can compare it to that kind of cultural 100%. capital. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. J.K. Rowling with her real world metaphors Real again. world metaphors. It then made me think of this whole thing that maybe some muggle boards do try to practice Quidditch in the holidays. And like, if you live in the country or nearer the countryside, they just walk off for miles until their area, until they're in an area where like, no one will walk here and then they start practicing. Just yeah. made me start thinking of that. Because like, we know in later books that Dean Thomas gets on the Quidditch team mm. um, and he was raised in a muggle family. So is he practicing in summer? What's going on? He, no, he lives in London. So there's no way he's practicing yeah, in summer. There's no way. There's no way. Dean is practicing. Yeah. So well done Dean, you've got a lot of talent for someone who didn't learn before they were 11 and can't practice in their free time yeah. basically. that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, so we then learn that it's Harry's birthday and the Dursleys have completely forgotten. But what they are doing this evening is holding a dinner party and they're prepping for that for a rich builder and his wife. Mm -hmm. So they're holding like a dinner party and it really reminded me of not that, like, my parents hosted dinner parties to try to impress people to make sales, but just the general atmosphere before reminds me of when my parents did have dinner parties, like, when my mum was cleaning all day, and, like, I was about to say I'd help her out a bit, but I probably would she probably told me to go away because I was being annoying, and then, like, I'd come in for dinner, um, for me to quickly have my dinner, and she'd be in, like, a really nice dress and smelling of nice perfume, and I was allowed to stay for the first half an hour to, like, see everyone before I went to my room. Yeah. And, like, for me, that's an exciting, happy memory, and for Harry, it's, this is a really horrible memory, but mm. it's still... Is like written in a way that really reminds me of those memories. Yeah, definitely. So they're prepping for the dinner. They're talking about like how, what what all their roles are going to be. Like at eight pm sharp, they're going to get into the dining room, going to offer drinks at this time, and then uh, Vernon asks them all to think of compliments. And Petunia is like, "Oh, your dress is lovely, Mrs. Mason." Blah blah blah. And Dudley says that he's going to compliment Mr. Mason. <laughs> 
<laughs> by telling him that he had to write an essay in school about his hero and he wrote about him. It's just this so ridiculous. This guy's a builder. <laughs> yeah, like, what? can you imagine if you, like, went to dinner at, like, a supplier's house from, like, work? Like, someone you don't really know, you just, you know, your company works with their company. Yeah, like, I can think of lots they're of people taking home in, dinner. In my, yeah, who I their child, who you almost definitely have never met, was like, I've written about you as my hero. Well, you've met, like, a couple of times in the office for, like, ten minutes at a time. That yeah. would be the creepiest thing yeah. in the world. You'd be like, child, you don't know me. This is clearly bullshit. And also, how am I a hero? Like, yes, a builder is a good job, and it sounds like he's a successful builder. Not sure that's how it's Dudley's hero. Yeah. That's the creepiest thing ever, and everyone will be able to see through that shit. I yeah. love that Harry, at this point, falls down below the table so that they can't see him laughing. Yeah. <laughs> because he's that embarrassed at how ridiculous Dudley's being. Yeah. Oh, so then it mentions that um, Vernon keeps saying it's going to be the biggest order of his life, like the biggest order of Jules in his life. And he says if the order's going to be so big that if it goes well, they can shop for a holiday home in Mallorca. How big is this order of Jules? And like, like, how big? And is Vernon on commission? Why is he on commission? What? Well, he's the head of the company. So if he's directly supplying the drills... No, I thought he was, like, managing director or something. I thought he was the head of it. I don't like, know. Like, if you're mani- uh, Yeah, but, like, if you're managing director, like, you'd get a salary, but I don't think you'd get, like, commission. We're you'd not- get, like, a really good salary. Yeah. Maybe bonus. Bonus. Bonus, yeah. yeah. Maybe it's, but, but still, would it ever be enough to just straight up buy a holiday home? Maybe second mortgage? Like, Put why are we discussing this, Anna? I don't know. I was just like, you can buy a holiday home from some drills. Am I in the wrong industry? Because I can't yeah. buy a fucking holiday this home. This is when you get to that adult like point in your life where you're like, wait, how... What? Why, what? How is he doing this? Like, what's his bonus? Scheme? Buying my like, own home is going to be a complete stretch, let alone yeah. buying a holiday home. Yeah. <laughs> but also, this was based, like... In the early 90s. 90s. So, yeah, like, yeah, a bit different. 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 There was no crash then. then. Yeah. They were far People off People had the money and were happy. And, and had money to spend. They had two cars. They yeah. had, you know, mm, things. American Psycho <laughs> shoving kittens into ATMs. So then Harry's sent up to his room and he mentions that um, he hasn't gotten any letters from Ron Hermione. And he's been really tempted to write letters to them, but Hedwig's locked in the cage. And he says the only thing stopping him from releasing Hedwig is that he can't do magic to unlock the cage. I'm like, Harry, you really need to learn how to pick a lock, mate. Like, if the only thing stopping you from writing letters is the fact you can't unlock Hedwig's cage and you can't undo it with magic, learn how to pick a lock. Or unscrew it. Or Get any... a screwdriver like, and take the door off. Yeah, like, Harry, if you're like, if you've already got to the point where you're like, God, I can't think of any muggle alternatives for breaking this lock. Yeah. Like, you know, Harry. Yeah, that is a very wizard thing, though. It's like, um, in Goblet of Fire, when... Dumbledore basically confirms that just having an older student putting your name into the cup would have worked. Yeah. And it's just because the way that wizards are, they would never think of the muggle alternative. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Harry's already brainwashed into that. It's like, get a screwdriver, Harry. Or get one of Arpeginia's hairpins, which the twins do later to Hedwig's cage. Exactly. I'm like, did you not think at that point, God, I just could have stolen one of Petunia's hairpins and done this months ago. Yeah. Harry, you're really annoying. Um, so, <laughs> I've written my notes wrong. Brilliant. Um, so Harry- Hannah, you're the only one keeping this podcast together. And even I know, but I want to read you what I've actually written. So Harry's now out in the garden because he's been sent out the way. And he sees what I've written, two big green eyes in the fridge. Definitely in the fridge. Definitely in the fridge. <laughs> Everyone keeps their fridge in the garden, right? <laughs> it was in the hedge. I don't know why my brain wrote fridge instead of hedge. Because it's your dyslexia. It's my dyslexia. <laughs> Harry sees two big green eyes in the hedge. And um, he then kind of is confused by this. But Dudley appears and starts taunting him because it's Harry's birthday. So Harry pretends to do magic to scare Dudley. But he just goes... Hocus pocus, jiggly do. I'm like, Harry, no. Comedy. <laughs> I know. But Dudley runs away screaming because apparently Dudley thinks that just going, hocus pocus. I mean, he has nothing else to base. And it's a very muggle thing to like what you think magic is. Yeah. it's It just really made me laugh. So Dudley runs in and tells his mum what's happened and Harry gets told off and Petunia tries to hit Harry round the head with a frying pan. It's just actual abuse. Yeah, don't do that to 12-year-olds. Oh my yeah. god, you could break their skull. Um, oh, this is when I realised, this is my first note about reading the illustrated copy. It says that then, as punishment, Harry has to clean all day, while 
I know it's meant to read, Dudley watches TV and eats ice cream, but my copy read, Dudley watching and eating ice creams. It didn't say the word TV, so it sounds like he's watching ice creams. Like, they, they'd obviously, I don't know how they did it, because surely they have a digital version of the book mm. that they were just copying and pasting into this one. Or do they mean that word. he was what? Yeah. No, I know it says TV. Like, I remember it does. Because yeah. then in the illustration, it shows him watching TV. So they just somehow deleted a word and none of the editors found, like, realised. Wow. But I found it. I think you should write and complain. Well, I find it really interesting because I've got most of the first editions of the books. And especially as we get later, there's loads of mistakes in some of the copies I have. So I'm going to have fun, like, going through them. Please reevaluate your life and what you find No, fun. you're going to find this fun when we get to it. So after Harry's done with all his cleaning, it's time for dinner, and he gets what he calls a measly dinner of bread and cheese. And this is when you realise that Harry's never been a university student because bread that's and cheese... That's a great dinner. That's a great dinner, Harry. Add some beans, best dinner. I don't like beans, but yeah. <gasps> but beans on toast. No. I don't mind the spaghetti on toast, you know, the Heinz spaghetti mm. tins, they're nice. But yeah, the ones with the really cheap sausages in. <gasps> I mean, I know I'm vegetarian, but like... They were good. Yeah, yeah they, they were good. good. But yeah, Harry's cleaning never been a university student, because like, I know he should be fed more than this for dinner, but when I was a student, if I could find some bread and some cheese... Like, especially nice bread. And like nice... A bit of tiger loaf. Oh, a bit of tiger loaf, and then some like extra mature cheddar, mm. or some like... Smoked cheese. Uh, obviously, Harry's not being given smoked cheese, but yeah, still, or like a nice warm baguette, butter, <gasps> and brie. I don't like brie. Oh I yeah, freak. I know. I don't like soft cheeses. I have one note, and I can't remember the context. Oh, Charlie! I thought you were gonna get better. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't learn from my previous mistakes. Um, but yeah, I mean. It kind of, to be fair, it works without any context, which I think is why I didn't write context. Sure. It's just this chapter is tedious. Oh. Because it is. Yeah, it's basically a recap chapter. So then it ends with Harry going to his room, and it ends with, someone was sitting on his bed. Dun, dun, dun. dun, dun. dun. Yeah, like, this chapter's okay. It's, it's just, just a lot of recap, and then there were some good bits. It's really difficult with these early books, because I think I remember them in such a different way to how they are. Yeah. Like, Especially because I've recently been listening to Order of the Phoenix on audiobook to help me get to sleep. And those chapters are so detailed. Mm. Like, some of them are an hour long to be to be read by the audiobook. And, like, every bit of detail is in there. And this, I just feel like, glosses over events. Like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Like, I know that the original bit where he's, like, awakes up in his room and, like, realises something would have been a whole chapter in a later book. Yeah, so. definitely. Um, I've called chapter one the worst birthday and chapter two the worst birthday. Clearly they're both not called that. Let me go. It's Dobby's warning. Dobby's warning. I wrote the worst birthday. Wow. I was not drunk or anything when I wrote these notes. I don't know how this has happened. You're just a dumb bitch. I am just a dumb bitch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, takes... Like, it springs off right where we left, which is a good thing, because it's the first book is quite disjointed. I feel like the second book fixes the problems with disjointed writing. Mm. We'll see as we go. I, I might take that back when we get to the middle of the school year where the first book got really janky, but so far, this is all good. And... We jump straight in, the creature on Harry's bed, he just calls it a creature, he doesn't know what it is at this point, and he says it's wearing an old pillowcase. So then Dobby introduces himself. What do you think of Dobby? Do you love Dobby? We're going to talk about Dobby loads as the books go forward, yeah. but what's Obviously, your like, general opinion on Dobby? I love Dobby. Yeah, I love Dobby. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. We always talk about Potterless, but it's because we love Potterless. Like, don't listen to us, go listen to Potterless. Um, <laughs> but, like, I thought it was interesting because he had heard a lot about Dobby. And, and then he when, thought he was going to love him. Yeah, and then because he was reading the books for the first time, and then he really hated him. He also really hated Hermione at the beginning. Yeah, So and then I think later on he, like, gets it and I think I don't know because I only ever remember Dobby and like knowing Dobby for Dobby I can understand why at this point in the books Dobby is annoying but maybe that shows how good J.K. Rowling's character development is as well that you find Hermione annoying and Dobby annoying they're still the same people at the end of the books but you just learn all the things there are to love about them yeah, yeah. and I'm glad that Dobby becomes more than just like a plot device in this one book yeah because that would have been really shit yeah definitely like if it was just like oh this character's never gonna be mentioned again but yeah. like luckily they don't do that yeah I think I think he's a really, really great character. And he actually, I, I've realised, I realised whilst reading this chapter and definitely going forward, he symbolises so much. Like, there's so much symbolism. Metaphors. And metaphors surrounding Dobby. Yeah, a lot of things that it's like, I don't know. Like, I appreciate 
I'm kind of in two minds about it because, like, I appreciate J.K. Rowling and her, like, symbolism and metaphors and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I think it does a lot of good. And I do genuinely um, credit Harry Potter with a large part of the reason that our generation is so tolerant 100%. and understanding. Um, because I think that Harry Potter helped... You know, it puts it in a way that children can understand And it puts these it in issues. a way they don't even... It puts it in a way that then they don't even think that issues are being shoved down their throat. Yeah. It lets them work it all out for yeah, themselves. Yeah, it changes their way of thinking about it does, issues. It does, I think it's very good. I think sometimes you can, like, critique things, like, you know, when you're getting, like, metaphors about racism and slavery and whatnot, and sometimes it's, it's a little bit questionable. But um, if you need to... This book at its time was aimed at 12 year olds and I yeah. can think of no better way to introduce what's wrong with slavery to yeah. 12 year olds. Yeah, and I genuinely, I think you can normally tell by people's opinions when they're big Harry Potter fans because I think they tend to be more progressive, which is just so ironic given JK Rowling currently. I still think she's progressive, leave her alone Charlie. She's not perfect, she has a lot of problems. We're not gonna get into it. I think we should do a bonus Patreon episode where we have a fight about J.K. Rowling at some point. So, Harry, who doesn't understand the prejudice against house elves, tells ask Dobby if he wants to sit down. And this causes Dobby to have a minor breakdown. Um, Same. I think it really shows how... I think this alone just really shows how ingrained prejudice is. Like, prejudice is a learned thing. You aren't born prejudiced. Why would you ever be born prejudiced? Harry has never learnt that house elves are something to be looked down upon he's just met this creature that can ha hold a conversation with him and is intelligent enough mm. to hold a conversation with him therefore he's like well that's my equal yeah it's a creature who has a mind of its yeah. own but is it, i think it speaks to harry a lot as well because i don't think all muggle would be like that i think actually they'd be more likely to be worse at it than um pure blood do you think yeah because i think when you know, when you're muggle-born, you just think as anything that isn't a human as, like, an animal and a, of lesser intelligence. Maybe, yeah. Um, you're not familiar with having, you know, intelligent, magical creatures. That's possible. Um, yeah. So I think you would be more likely to not understand and to look down on them. And you would probably eventually learn. But I think at first, you know, if you saw some sort of creature, you would not expect it to have... Like, I fully believe that... I, and I mean, you know, it's pretty much canon that house elves are more powerful than wizards yeah, well naturally more powerful yeah yeah Liz lizards <laughs> lizards <laughs> lizards it's wizards. a very low bar but i do think that house elves come above lizards <laughs> wizards have to harness their power through a magical object yeah house elves don't and you know house elves can do magic that they can't they can operate from yeah. like anywhere i like to think that muggle borns and like muggles in general if they saw what they initially thought was a creature and therefore lower than them once it started to speak and converse in a way that was as intelligent yeah. in them maybe they then lose that prejudice but it's difficult to say because then Dobby Harry himself actually then comes up with some prejudice so he's asked Dobby to sit down he clearly respects that it's a creature but he then says Dobby looks like an ugly doll <laughs> all right Harry savage maybe that's just the way house elves look and they're not instinctually ugly because that's how they're born maybe you look ugly to them yeah idiot <laughs> yeah i love that harry's just like immediately like meets like a brand new fascinating creature like has never seen it before like discovering more of the magical world yeah. it's amazing it's magical and it can talk and it's intelligent and he's like yeah but wouldn't fuck it though <laughs> no, but harry is one of the most biased people towards looks <laughs> i've ever read about like the more you reread these books Creature and he doesn't like look at me, he's like, it's horrible, it's ugly. Yeah. And he also, if he meets someone he doesn't like, he's like, oh, they're ugly. But then Sirius, whenever he sees a picture of him and he's like, oh god, Sirius was gorgeous, wasn't yeah. he? Fucking love Harry Sirius. Harry's so by Harry like, loves Sirius so much. Yeah. I really want to reread, like, uh, I want to basically like write Harry Potter exactly as it is. Yeah. But whenever a new character is introduced and described, yes. change it so that he's giving them like a score out of ten <laughs> as to whether he would shag them. He basically does. But like he's... literally, so like he meets Dobby and rather than be like, oh, it looks like an ugly doll, be like zero out of ten, wouldn't shag. <laughs> and then like he meets Umbridge and it's like, oh, like two out of two ten. Two out of ten. If Look, I had like, to. Yeah. Like if I was really, if drunk. I was really drunk and desperate. 
Harry is so prejudiced looks wise. Like he really is. For a bloke yeah. that is meant to be described as quite plain, quite nerdy looking, Harry sets a lot in store by looks. Exactly. But you know, if we're gonna go into the whole JK Rowling thing, that's because of JK Rowling's, you know, JK Rowling like, definitely has inner prejudice yeah, in valuing yeah, people based on their looks. And, and she would if you asked her, she'd be like, No, I never do that, but it comes across in her writing so badly at Yeah, point. it's basically like if you Break your gender norms and you're not Hagrid, you're evil. Yeah. Um, and if you're if ugly, you're, you're evil. If you're fat, you're evil. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyway, Harry says Dobby looks like an ugly doll, which I found hilarious. Anyway, um, Dobby mentions that um, Dobby basically has to punish himself because of something he said, and he Kim mentions. Key. Okay. He mentions that his family, who we later learn is the Malfoys, we don't know that at this stage, he mentions that his family sometimes remind him to do extra punishments. Mm. That's really horrible. The Malfoys are literally the worst. Like, why are you reminding an elf to punish itself? Yeah. How does that help you? Yeah. Like, something I was thinking about with this, like, correct me if I'm wrong, I might be wrong, but definitely at this point in the text, and I'm pretty sure later on we don't get confirmation of it, we don't know that it is normal for house elves to punish themselves physically. We only know that that is what Dobby does because the only other time does we see- Does he not say that's something that house elves do? I'm gonna just check that's not something he says house elves do. Carry on talking, I'm just gonna check. I, I genuinely don't think we do. The only other time we see a house elf being punished within Harry Potter is obviously Winky, but she gets punished by being let go, by given clothes. We don't have any other examples of a house elf physically punishing themselves. Yeah. So we- No creature does it. Yeah, but that's another, mm. that's the same family. Yeah, I guess The Blacks so. and the Malfoys. Yeah, I guess um, they are, yeah. So we don't actually know that this is something normal for house elves, mm. or whether it is just something within the kind of like, you know, Malfoy, Black, or just within like dark wizarding families. In the way they're raised, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, physical punishments, like self-inflicted for house elves, might not be the norm. That's interesting. I've never thought of that. Yeah, we don't get any confirmation. Yeah, maybe of it. that because you know, their house, they are, they are like made to work from the time they're born, and if they're t they're told from the time they're born that they have to punish themselves when they do wrong, it would become an instinctual part of their behaviour. Yeah, and I think that you know we don't see it from Winky. Um, you know, she obviously she has a lot of respect for. I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Crouch. Crouch. She has a lot of respect for Crouch and she's very like afraid of doing wrong. Mm. Um, and she's like, you know, distraught when she thinks that she has let him down, but she's not like scared of punishment. She's like physical punishment. She's scared of getting let go and yeah. that is how he deals with the situation. Yeah. But she doesn't, you know, start, you know, she has been caught you know, they think that she has cast a dark mark or yeah. whatever. She doesn't jump to physically punish herself like Dobby does for anything. Yeah. So I think that physical punishment for house elves is only within dark families or perhaps at just one that one family. That's interesting. I like that theory. Yeah. I like that. Um, so it then mentions that Dobby has to serve the family until he dies, and that's slavery! Yes. Yay! I just read that and I was like, it really hit home for me. I was like, serve until you die? Like, that is literal slavery. Lovely. Great. Okay. Lovely. Cool. Um, so Dobby tells Harry that he can't go back to Hogwarts because he says there's a plot to do terrible things. So number one, this means that Lucius Malfoy must have been planning this for a while. Because Dobby says, I've, like, I've known for months. He's especially known for long enough to stop Harry's letters for all of summer, which I think up until this point has been four weeks of summer. So he's been stopping Harry's letters. So Lucius has, number one, been planning this for a while. And number two, that means something I didn't realise up until this point. If Dobby knows, Lucius has been discussing it out loud with Narcissa. Because how else would Dobby know? Therefore, does Draco know about the plot? I don't think he does. I don't think he does. Because when he's asked by who he thinks is Crabbe and Goyle as... Yeah who is breaking into the Chamber of Secrets, he yeah. says, I wish I knew. Yeah, and we know that later on, like, any excuse for Draco to be like, oh, look, I know things that other people don't, like yeah. with the Goblet of Fire, the Triwizard Tournament, he boasts that, oh, I'm in the know, I'm in the know. I think if he did know, then he would have said something. But I think we know from the way that Lucius, like, speaks to Draco that he doesn't really think much of his son, no, so I don't think he would it. actually involve him in that. But he must have been telling Narcissa, and then that made me think that... 
would Narcissa really be okay with Lucius planning this whilst Draco is still at Hogwarts? Because I think Narcissa would have been like, yeah, do what you like, mudbloods are, I don't really care about them, so do what you like. But I wouldn't think she'd want the plot going, ha happening whilst Draco is at Hogwarts, because Draco will then like see things and have things happen, and even if his husband's, her husband says, you know, this only targets Muggleborns, this only targets Muggleborns, there is a slim chance that Draco mm. could get hurt. Well, I think she definitely didn't approve of it because right. um, didn't Draco's dad want him to go to Durmstrang and she wanted him to go to Hogwarts. Yes. So she would not have wanted Hogwarts to get shut down. But the real question is, do we think that Lucius Malfoy is a kind of person to respect his wife's opinion? No, no definitely not. No. So maybe so, Dobby knows about this because they were fighting about it. Yes. And that's how he knows. Or, you know, just to put a spanner in the works, Perhaps the reason he knows is because uh, Nars, what's her name? Narcissa. Narcissa um, told Dobby. <gasps> what a plot twist. Made, well, because we never actually get a reason why he can leave. Like, why can he leave? He has to put a lot of effort in to leave. Yeah, but maybe he can leave because Narcissa has actually allowed him to. We see later on, obviously, that Narcissa will do anything, including betraying the Dark Lord, to protect her yeah. son. If she will straight up lie to Voldemort, bearing in mind that he's a legit, very accomplished legilimens, um, then why the hell would she not go against her husband? Yeah. You know, that's a lot lesser thing than fucking Voldemort. Mm. So, you know, perhaps... Narcissa did not want the plan to go ahead. She didn't want Draco to be put in harm's way, did not want him to go mm. to Durmstrang. Maybe she did, you know, not straight up tell Dobby, but, you know, say something to him that allowed him to leave the house, yeah. purposely had a loud conversation about the plot in front of him. That's interesting. Just to try to have, like, a safeguard for making it stop. Yeah. Ooh. Charlie, so many theories tonight. Theories. Theories everywhere. And then what this made me think about, I was thinking about Narcissa and Lucius, and I was thinking about Dobby's treatment and the fact he's a metaphor for slavery. And I was thinking that this whole thing actually reflects a big theme in the books, that being good to those around you and below you helps you in the long run. And being negative towards those below you is what will get you in the end. Yeah. So we, this is a strong theme in book five because Sirius's death comes about in part because of his mistreatment of Creature. Yeah. And that's a very direct link. And again, it's a house self being mistreated by their master. Yeah. But I then realized that this is reflective in a much slower, bigger sense with Dobby and the Malfoy family. Mm -hmm. So as you said, we don't know how far the mistreatment of house elves goes in other families. But what we do know is Dobby is severely mistreated. And maybe that's the reason he wants to be free, whereas no other house elves do, because of how badly he's mistreated. So because he wants to be free, he believes that Harry Potter is the good side. That's why he loves Harry Potter so much, mm -hmm. because Draco goes on, goes on about him all the time. So he knows that Harry Potter must be good. That's the reason why he like really likes Harry and really likes the good side, and he knows that a lot of house elves were mistreated during the reign of Lord Voldemort. Because he's been mistreated so badly, he ends up leaving the Malfoys' employment. Um, he ends up, in part, giving Harry the information he needs to stop the Chamber of Secrets, and then he ends up helping him throughout all the books until right at the end he goes back to the Malfoy family and saves them all. And if he hadn't saved them, they would have all been murdered by Lord Voldemort, and that would have been book end, Voldemort wins. Yeah. And it's like a much bigger plot that again happened in book five, where people mistreated a house elf, something that they didn't respect as human enough to bother treating well, mm -hmm. and it backfired on them, because the Malfoys not only lose the war, they also lose the respect of the person they're actually on the side on. Yeah. They lose everything they stood for. And in part, like obviously there's lots of other reasons why that happens, but in part it's because of how they treat those below them. Mm -hmm. They mistreated Dobby, and Dobby ends up saving the good side. Yeah. And it's just this big metaphor for how you should treat those below you as an equal. Yeah. Because we all know the only reason you should be nice and respectful to people is, you know, for the self-serving purpose of it coming around, Yeah, you know, karma-wise. There's absolutely no other reason to no. be nice to people. Only if I mean, it's going to benefit you later on. I didn't mean that to come across like that, but... <laughs> Yeah, like the books are trying to say be nice to people because you're a good person, but also be nice to people because if you're shit to people, it will come around and hurt you. Yeah, yeah. and it will. It they will. Believe in karma. Yeah, like, yeah, kind of, yeah. As in, you know, nothing, not spiritual. No, I just, don't believe in spiritual karma, but like, but like, it's just the fact. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you're bad to people, you will end up having bad things happen yeah. to you. Yes. So, 
big metaphors. So Dobby then mentions that he knows who Dumbledore is, and this leads me to my big question of why, when Dobby knew all this information about the plot, didn't he go to Dumbledore? Why did he go to Harry? <laughs> he could have gone to Dumbledore and told him everything that was going to happen. Where would he find Dumbledore? Hogwarts. Yeah, but like also he doesn't tell Harry the full plot, so he wouldn't be able to tell Dumbledore. The but he full could plot. tell what he told Harry, and Dumbledore would be able to work some shit out. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, I just wonder why he didn't tell Dumbledore. But he chose to tell Harry. Um, and then Dobby makes so much noise that Vernon has to come upstairs. Um, and he mentions, while he's telling Harry to shut up, he mentions that Harry ruined the punchline of his Japanese golfer joke. Which I'm glad Harry ruined the punchline of because that sounds racist. It does. It was probably definitely a racist joke. I had a quick Google about what the joke is and if it's a real thing, and there are some like theories about what the joke is online. Let's not read Let's them. not read that them. That sounds very racist. Yeah, no. Vernon Dursley, you're a racist. Let's not. Let, let's not. So then we find out that Dobby's been stopping Harry's letters. Number one, how? How do you stop a letter? Are you catching owls out of the air? Are you like, owl? I, th I think, I don't know, I think the house elves have a lot of magic that isn't gone into. Uh, yeah. So I wouldn't put it past that that's just like a thing that they can do. Yeah. I'm sure it's a thing they can do, but I just wonder how. And number two, it's interesting how Dobby has an almost childlike like view of morality. So as I said, he could, in theory, have gone to Dumbledore with the information he has and tried to tell Dumbledore to stop all the attacks. But what he does instead is he just tries to stop Harry going to Hogwarts. I kind of didn't realise that Dobby's not trying to stop the attack because he doesn't feel, I think, he has the power to stop the plot happening. He's just trying to stop Harry, this one person, getting hurt. Mm. But I think that's because he believes that Harry stopped Voldemort the first time. Therefore, Harry is something that stops evil. So Harry must be protected. Har Harry cannot yeah. be harmed. I think he thinks if Harry dies... Voldemort will come back. Yeah. So therefore, instead of trying to stop the attacks and the plot in general, mm. he just tries to stop Harry going to Hogwarts. Yeah. But also, he might not know much about the plot at all. He might just know that there is a plot, and he might have guessed that Harry would be the target. He might okay. not know that there is a wider risk to Muggleborns. Yeah, maybe. maybe so he, he might they are just target think Harry. it is a plot to kill Harry. Because Harry actually isn't a target of this plot. Yeah. Lucius didn't intend to hurt... Harry, like, he can't intend to hurt Harry. Harry's not Vogelborn. Yeah. And I mean, that makes sense because I don't... Dre, uh, Vold, uh, Jake, oh Voldemort, Lucius. Lucius didn't know what was going to happen. Nope, he had no idea, which is why it went so wrong. Yeah. So Dobby then runs downstairs, and this is where I want to bring up my first point about the book illustration, which, of course, I will put on Instagram. Um, so... It's just a picture of Dobby running down the stairs, but I just want you to look at it and tell me what you're seeing, because if you're seeing the same thing I'm seeing, I want to see the picture, well, I don't want to see the picture from the front. <laughs> <laughs> to describe it for the podcast, but please go follow us on Instagram and Twitter, because I will put this up. There's an illustration of Dobby running down the stairs. He's running, so his pillowcase is written up. So it's a drawing of Dobby's ass. <laughs> like, it's straight up, that's Dobby's bum. It's really wonky. He's running. Why is he been squatting on one side? <laughs> Why did Jim Kay not just draw the tea towel going down to there? I get that he's trying to like give this impression that Dobby's running really fast and he's a creature and things like this. And but that means from the front view, Dobby's dick is out. Yeah. Dobby's dick is just I out. Think, <laughs> I think it's meant for children. So I think it's just probably supposed to be comical. Oh, look, it's his bum. But, but my head but, just went yeah. to... Penis. Penis is out at the front. But, I mean, maybe... And they also, I thought the pillowcase was, like, tied down here so your butt wouldn't just fly yeah. out. Yeah. But, like, I maybe we're being a bit presumptuous. We don't know that that is a thing that house elves have. We're just I mean, applying they're humanoid our own... in every other way, but, yeah. No, true. Yeah, like, you know, why do they fit the same gender? Not necessarily gender, but all animals have... Mammals have penises. So Dobby runs downstairs and drops the Dursley's pudding from the fridge onto the floor. Yeah. And this is where I realised Harry could have just not followed and uh, nothing would have happened. Yeah. Or like lied to him. 
Like, why does Harry seem to think that if he says, yes, fine, I won't go back to Hogwarts, that he then has... Harry's an idiot. Like, just say, like, just say you're not going to and then do it. Go it. it. Go. Like, I don't understand why he was like, no, no, I won't say it. Because he's dumb. He's a dumb bitch. Just fucking lie. And also, like, so Dobby runs down the stairs. Obviously, Harry's worried that Dobby's going to run into the dinner party. But all Dobby does is make it look like Harry dropped the cake because Harry gets covered in the cake. So if Harry had been in the hallway rather than the kitchen, he wouldn't have got covered in the cake. He could have run back upstairs and they wouldn't know he dropped the cake. It's just really stupid. It's, yeah. Really stupid. And Dobby's plan is stupid all along. That's the other thing. Like, I love Dobby, but his plans to stop Harry going back to Hogwarts. Like, do you really think if you didn't receive letters from your friends, you'd be like, right, well, not going back. Not going back to school then, sure. No. Um, so Harry gets a letter from the Ministry of Magic warning him not to do magic again because they think he did underage magic. And um, Vernon punishes Harry by saying he's never going to go back to Hogwarts again. Which is strange because Hogwarts gets Harry out of their house for 10 months out of the year. And Vernon's like, I'm gonna punish you by keeping you in this house where I hate you. Um, I just find it a really strange punishment. Like, I know they don't want him to go to Hogwarts because they don't want him to learn magic, but also surely the benefit of getting him out the house for 10 months out of 12 outweighs that. Yeah, he might not have meant it. No, well, no, because he then puts bars on his windows, puts a cat flap in his door and locks it and only lets him up to pee Twice a day. Mm. How many times do you pee in a day, Charlie? Um, I don't know. A lot. I know you pee a lot. Because we used to bump into each other in the toilet all the time at work because we both peed a lot. I think most people need to use the loo more than twice a day. Um, they're also half-starving Harry. They're giving him, like, really shitty excuses for food. Um, but mm. at one point, Harry gets um, a cold tin of soup. He drinks half of it and it gives the other half to Hedwig because even though he's not getting enough food... He still needs to feed his owl. Yeah. But it's like fucking horrifying. Like, yeah. this is a, like, a 12 year old like, child. They put a cat. Up. It's the fact they put a cat flap on his door. I'm like, you could just open the door and give food to him. Mm. This is really horrible. It's so fucked up. But, like, it's another thing as well. Like, why did, like, Vernon's guests, like, not be like, they clearly have a child that they're like, Keeping upstairs. Yes. Yeah. Like, well, they were like, he's disturbed. Yeah, but like, why would you buy that? Like, surely you would be like, this seems like a weird situation. Yeah. I might tell someone. Nope, nobody tells anyone. Um, my heart broke a bit when he had to give half the food to Hedwig. Um, so Harry then falls asleep. He's in a really like disturbing dream because he's half starved from hunger where he's like locked in a cage and then he can hear rattling on the bars of the cage and then he wakes up and it turns out Ron is outside the bars of his window. Yay! Yay! And that's Actually, where the chapter ends. Yeah, but I love that bit so much. I think for me that is one of the most magical, if not the most magical moment in all of the books. Whoa. Um, I don't know, like, I just, I just love it. Like, I find something so, like, exciting and mysterious and magical about that. Like, a flying car, you know, you see your best friend at the window and blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know. It is, like, very magical and cute. And I don't know, like, when I was, like, a lot younger, like, first, like, reading this and, like, um, watching the film for, like, the first time and stuff, mm. like, for some reason. And I didn't remember this until, like, I was making these notes. I had like a massive crush. I can't like on one of the Weasleys. I don't know whether it was Ron or the twins. I think it might I be the twins. Yeah, I had a crush. And on the like, twins. I just like I used to like go to bed being like, oh, imagine if I woke up and they were at my window, and Aww. then it's like, it's like, dear seven-year-old Charlie, where would that then have gone? <laughs> Why are you fantasizing about this? What was going to happen next? You were seven. I don't think I had a plan for what would happen after they appeared in a flying car at my window. Yummy stuff. What did you think of these two chapters? They are nice. Like the first one's very tedious. I think they all are in all the books. That's the thing. I think that's. What, I think we're gonna find that all of them are because all of them are. And Harry's back at the Dursleys, and he hates life. And this is what happens in the last book. Yeah, but no, they're still you know fine. Yeah, it's yeah. funny when we go back into these first chapters how obviously Muggle they are because throughout all the rest of the books like nothing Muggle is ever mentioned really but then in these chapters it mentions things like the TV, what's on the TV, the PlayStation, all of this mm. and it's kind of jarringly Muggle because especially now all that tech is 20 years old you're kind of like what? Like yeah. what the hell? Like yeah. they're not mentioning mobile phones because 
only really exec business people had mobile phones in yeah. the early 90s, but they are mentioning the PS1 and like monster alien basher games and yeah. things like At that. At one point they're like, oh, and Dudley got a computerised robot, and it's like, as opposed to the non-computerised robots. <laughs> The organic kind. The organic kind. Yeah, it, they're just so jarringly muggle. But yeah, these two chapters were okay. It's good to get back into the world. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and I love Dobby. Yeah, Dobby's there. And the plot definitely kicks off so much quicker in this So book. much quicker. Because in the first book, the plot does not kick off till halfway through. In this one, we're like, something's going down at Hogwarts. Da, 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 chapter da. two. Like, we know something's going down. Yeah. Okay, and then to finish off the episode, we have a Patreon question. So another bonus thing you can get on Patreon. If you donate to us, I feel like this episode has been a lot about Patreon. We're sorry. We're excited for the people who have just started donating. Anyway, one of the things you can unlock is a question that you can ask us at the end of any episode. It can be any question, Harry Potter related, non-Harry Potter related. You can find out more about me and Charlie's personal lives. Anyway, the Patreon question is, which character is your favourite and least favourite and why? Mm -hmm. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I'll go first. All right, you go first. Okay, so I said to Hannah before we answered this that we should have two answers for least favourite. Mm. Because, and I didn't even have to ask her, but like, Umbridge, Umbridge. obviously. Yeah. Like, obviously. Uh, so I was like, I feel like we should say another one that isn't Umbridge. Yeah, because I think Umbridge is everyone's least favourite and it's yeah. really obvious why, because she's literally the worst person yeah. ever. Yeah. So my least favourite that isn't Umbridge is Fudge. <gasps> I didn't even think of Fudge. That's a great... Uh, yeah. Oh, the corrupt leader. Yeah, because again, similar to Umbridge, like very real, like you, you know not what, necessarily know what I've known off one. What? Yeah, do you know what I've also just realised about Fudge? What? So Theresa May at the moment. Oh, yeah. Book four and book five Fudge is Theresa May with Brexit. Yeah, literally. But yeah, so again, like a very real villain as opposed yeah. to Voldemort. Um, very representative of what politicians are like. A hundred percent. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, he's a really great character, but like a really like... Awful, 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 yeah. awful character. His negligence allows Voldemort's reign of power to happen. Yeah. And it's too negligence, not too evil. Yeah. He's not evil. Yeah. He's stupid. I think he's also, like, very David Cameron, you know? Like, Ooh. he prioritised his own career. Yes, no, he And is. his pride above the country. And, yeah, I just think he's a very, like, well-written, very real character, but, like, a complete cunt. Yeah. I mean, J.K. Rowling's very interested in politics, and I think that really comes across in touch. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, what's your least favourite? So, my least favourite, if it wasn't Umbridge, who is the worst, is probably Fenra Greyback. Yeah, good one. Because, like... It might seem weird we're not mentioning Voldemort. Voldemort's so just the archetypal villain, he's not really scary, but yeah. Henry Greyback I find really terrifying because he's a werewolf who maliciously targets children. And what he does is basically is a metaphor indoctrination. He tries to find children um, so that he can take them away from their families and raise them into the dark side. And that's kind of what indoctrination to mm. anything evil or bad yeah. is. Um, he just, he intentionally wants to hurt people, rip them apart, like, and like rip apart families. He wants to do that. He also has this weird thing that definitely comes across as like paedophilia, yeah. grossness in the books, which, yeah. Again, no, metaphors. Metaphors. <laughs> Finn Regri, like, is, I find him quite repulsive in the books. Like, mm. I get quite, feel quite sick when I'm reading about yeah. him. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Most, most favourite, favourite character. Uh, McGonagall. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. She's just, the best. Great. Fucking great. And like well written and yeah, realistic and just Perfect. a bit of a badass. Like I did struggle with this and I feel like I might later on be like, oh no, maybe actually this character. Yeah. But on the spot I would say McGonagall. She's just fucking great. Yeah. She's just I get like so happy every time I read McGonagall bits. Yeah. So I, I basically came up with three. Um cheat. I know. I well, I'll pick one, but Ron, Hermione, McGonagall. I'm really basic liking Ron Hermione, I know, but I just think they're some of the best written characters in yeah in, in any book I've read because they're so realistic, like so hyper realistic. If I had to pick one, it would probably end up being Oh god, I just love Ron Hermione so much. You just like it because you were their child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I like in some books I'd say Ron and in some moods I'd say Hermione. Mm. They're just so well written. Um they just complement Harry so well in a really natural way 
Um, I love Hermione because she taught me just... I think Hermione probably wins because she taught me more about how to be, like, the woman I wanted to be. And, like, to not be afraid to be intelligent, to not be afraid to speak my mind, to not be afraid to... To, to not to not have to look beautiful all the time to not put look just throw a she pen. just enthusiastically dropped her pen I did um, I don't even know where that's no come back pen I found it um, really good podcast content I know I feel like Hermione taught me a lot so I feel like she'd win yeah but yeah Ron McGonagall are like up there yes yeah so that's yeah. the question thank you so much for asking that Nathan and Amy that felt really sick. I was like I can't read it from here thank you so much for asking that Nathan and Amy that was a good question really good great thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine remember you can keep up with us on Twitter at Goblet of Wine Pod and Instagram at Goblet of Wine Podcast you can also leave us a rating and review on iTunes Thank you to our lovely Patreon producer, Sandra, for her help supporting this podcast. If you'd like to support us and gain access to bonus content and rewards like choosing our alcohol, behind-the-scenes content and bonus episodes, check us out on our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash goblet of wine. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye! Bye.